Greetings and welcome to The Second Question, a podcast for educators and those who love education. I'm your host, Martin Silverman, a public school educator from beautiful San Antonio, Texas. Now, let's answer the second question. Welcome to the fifth episode of The Second Question. You know, I've been doing a lot of thinking over this past week, specifically about students who and I'm going to put this in air quotes that you won't see, but students who don't fit the model. And so it makes me wonder about whether the model is the issue. And I feel like that's a topic that we're going to explore maybe on a future episode of the second question. But specifically, we have been talking a lot about students with special needs. And so typically the first thing that comes into your mind when you talk about students with special needs are likely to be students who have deficits. And those could be, you know, students who are not where they're supposed to be on level based on the arbitrary calendar of skills that we decide, you know, a five-year-old needs to know at a certain time. Or uh, they could be students with uh, diagnosed and identified physical, emotional, academic needs. But we, in the picture of students who have special needs, uh, we often forget that students with special needs are also students who are gifted and talented. And there are a boatload of special needs that uh, need to be taken into consideration for students who are academically above what is expected of them. And so in the interview today, I speak to the gifted and talented teacher at my school. Her name is Meredith Jacobson. And Meredith has a great perspective on gifted and talented education and how gifted and talented students should be viewed in the school and the specific needs they have. And most importantly, how we program for students with gifted and talented labels. And I use the word labels because that comes up in the interview. So without further ado, here's my interview with Meredith Jacobson. I want to welcome our guest for this episode. And I, you know, I keep saying our guest, but really it's just my guest. So the hour, I guess, is what would you call that, Meredith? The regal hour? Maybe? Yeah. Hey, why not? The royal we. Our guest today, here I go again, is Meredith Jacobson. And Meredith is a teacher of the gifted and talented, or as we call it, tag teacher at good old Salinas Elementary School, where I work. And uh, I want to introduce to you all my friend, Meredith Jacobson. Hello. I'm very glad to be here. So Meredith, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about your background with uh teaching the gifted and talented? Sure. Okay. So this is currently my eighth year being the designated gifted and talented teacher um, at Salinas. I have since picked up some other schools uh, due to the shift in the nature of my position. Um, but 
like I said, exclusively eight years as the gifted and talented teacher. Prior to that, I was a cluster teacher, which in our district, we uh, part of the service design for gifted students um, is that we try to cluster students together um, in each grade level so that they have a cohort of students to kind of work with, uh, you know, similar peers. Um, so that, And it also increases, uh, you know, activities in the classroom for teachers. It kind of makes things easier if there's more than one uh, gifted kid so that you can uh, plan things out for them a little bit better. But yeah, so I was a cluster teacher uh, while I taught third grade as well for a number of years. So, and also I was a gifted kid myself. So I have, I have some experience. I know that you do. Um, Meredith, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the special needs of students and just kind of in the broader perspective at schools, we talk about very, you know, very often we talk about uh, needs of students and a lot of times, you know, in my opinion, and you and I have talked about this, we do it in a, uh, a deficit model. We talk about students who are struggling with school, who are struggling with academics. Um, very often the gifted and talented students are students who uh, also have special needs, but not, don't necessarily struggle with academics. Um, what do you consider to be the special needs of talented and gifted students? I would definitely say, I think one of the um, more like lesser known aspects of uh, gifted kids is their social and emotional needs. Um, I know it's a kind of a trendy buzz phrase now, like SEL, and everybody's kind of talking about that um, as of recent years as far as social and emotional learning. But it is a huge component in the educational experience for gifted kids just because um, a lot of the academic pieces are already there. Um, and again, that's kind of a blanket statement because not every gifted student excels academically speaking. Um, but, you know, kind of uh, across the board, that's the, um, that's the assumption. And that's most kiddos are, you know, academically gifted, if, especially if they are being identified uh, to receive services. But the social and emotional piece is something that is um, not as, I guess, addressed by everyone who just kind of is just a, I don't want to say a regular teacher, but a general ed teacher, if they haven't taken specific training um, in regard to gifted learners, they aren't necessarily um, aware of some of those social emotional aspects that can pose um, issues when it comes to the learning process for those kids. So give me an example, give me an example of some of the ones that you've seen uh, that could, you know, that could help teachers be aware of what they need to look for when they have students who are gifted and talented? For sure. So we study a lot and I, I am really big about um, not keeping secrets from my kids about what makes them tick. Um, so specifically when an, a couple of years ago when I had the third, fourth, and fifth grade uh, service design where I had the kiddos all in the same room at the same time, and I was the teacher of record for them academically for reading and math, we talked a whole lot about, okay, cool, I know that you know this content, but let's kind of take some responsible risks. Um, let's make sure that we have task commitment. Let's make sure that we 
um, are managing impulsivities that we um, are able to persevere in the face of maybe not knowing something right away. Um, because And those are all um, habits of mind. And for the life of me now, I can't remember the name of the guy who developed the idea, but oh well. If you Google habits of mind, you can find the information. But, um, you know, and it was really funny because a lot of the students, especially the first year that I did that, I hadn't ever seen them in that setting. And so I remember specifically that batch of fifth graders to this day. I mean, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but they are my favorite group of kids. Sorry to anyone else who's listening to this, but they're my favorites. Um, But one of those kiddos had a near meltdown because of something so small. I mean, it was very insignificant, but she didn't know something right off the bat. She had to like, take a second to think about it and then kind of unpack the complexity of the of the problem we were working on it was in math um and so she was about to have a meltdown because she didn't automatically know it which a lot of times um and it's not a knock against any general ed instruction because i was in that uh in that boat for 6 years as well um but a lot of times in the regular classroom you know, it's kind of like the teach to the middle aspect. Um, And so they, a lot of the gifted students kind of get things pretty quickly. Um, So having to unpack, oh my gosh, I don't know this instantaneously, it's an uncomfortable position for them. And they're quick to just say, I don't get it, or I give up, or this is too hard. And that perseverance and that um, commitment to the task and to see it through is something that is very, very common in gifted kids. Whereas, you know, a student who, you know, is your really like give them an A for effort type of kid, they will stick with something because they're aware of the fact that they don't know everything. Whereas a lot of times gifted kids, they have this, and it's not right because nobody knows everything, but they have a twisted sense in their mind that they're supposed to know everything. And uh, it also goes along with imposter syndrome, which is another uh, social emotional piece to kind of take into consideration with those kids. Um, but they have to kind of sit back and realize like, okay, I'm, I don't know everything and it's okay not to know everything because there's so much uh, to the, the learning experience um, that they weirdly think that they don't need to have. And so kind of putting them in positions um, that are safe but uncomfortable, um, I think is one of my kind of missions for my kids because I feel like if somebody would have done that for me, I might have been a little bit better off as an adult, maybe not so crazy um, in certain aspects. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you laugh because you know it's true. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really important. And it's also important for parents to kind of understand that. And I think that's um, another big part of my mission, I guess. Uh, my own personal mission is making sure that parents have some of that awareness as well, because, you know, I'm not a parent myself, but anybody who is a parent knows that your kid doesn't come with, you know, a manual, an instruction manual, but for sure, gifted kids do not come with that instruction manual. And there are a lot of little idiosyncrasies that, you know, unless you have been informed or read up on it or take a course uh, you just kind of wouldn't realize are things that that come along with that label per se. You know, you brought up 
um, something that we talked about. I think we may have even talked about it today. Uh, you said that we tend to teach to the middle. And, you know, um, one of the things that's been running around my mind today for sure, but just in general, is the fact that we, are, the way our model is set up in public education, um, we may almost feel forced to teach to the middle and then try to take care of the outliers on both ends of the of the spectrum, you know, with some special programs. Mm -hmm. So if you were arranging um, education, a system, a school to address the needs specifically of the gifted and talented students, you know, in your mind, what would be the best way for us to do that? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, it's funny because, oh, and you and I, I mean, we've had conversations, I feel like before about I'm kind of, I'm definitely an outside of the box thinker um, when it comes to creating a system that I think would be best for gifted kids, but really for all kids, I feel like, you know, I feel like a lot of the labels are actually kind of where the issue lies. Um, if we as educators made more of a focus on mastery of skills, not necessarily on grades. I think that would be hugely beneficial. Um, if there was more flexibility and fluidity to grade levels, maybe, or access to the next skill or, uh, you know, I, I kind of liken it to like playing Candy Crush or something, you know, you can't unlock such and such level until you have gotten, you know, until you've gotten through the previous ones. So kind of the idea of not having a ceiling, but also not having a floor, if you're going to think about it as an all-inclusive aspect. Um, because the other thing with gifted kids is that um, while there are some kids who are kind of universally gifted across uh, content areas, there's also a large handful of students who do struggle um, in, in one specific subject area, or maybe their strengths lie, maybe not even academically uh, per se. And so kind of taking all of that into consideration, I'm not saying go like throw out everything and go like straight up Montessori, but having some sort of a model where um, maybe we don't have like finite restrictions, I think would be my ideal situation. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if I was a teacher in a classroom uh, and I had students who I thought were potentially uh, gifted and talented, what would your advice to me be? Um, really, honestly, my advice would be before you start to, you know, seek out, oh, finding, like I said, putting a label on a kid doesn't make or break anything for them, to be quite honest with you. Um, and No, I completely agree with that. Yeah, because if anything, I mean, it, it almost could potentially make it worse because of the fact that it's like, okay, cool. And, and you know this, it's like, all right, now you fit in this box. So you're supposed to have this laundry list of things that go along with your educational experience. Um, and, you know, they're... It's, it's not that easy. Uh, personnel, budget, um, just time, 
resource constraints, all of that um, goes into, you know, in a perfect world, everybody would just have everything that they needed. But, you know, then then we all woke up and that's not an option. Um, but so I would say more so than anything, more so than focusing on the label per se, is looking at how, if you think this kid is potentially gifted, what are you as a teacher doing to explore that um, to push them kind of outside of their comfort zone, um, to have them kind of buy into the idea of more conceptual learning rather than just, you know, the, the nitty gritty, like ABCD, um, having students, uh, have to explain their answer and rationalize and justify the process of how they got to it. I was actually working on a pre-algebra thing today with my second graders, and some of them were very quick to just, well, I don't know. So they were over it, you know? And I said, guys, it's the process. You know, it's about the process. It's not necessarily, I don't care about the end result. I want to, I want us to focus on how we're thinking through this to arrive at our answer. Um, and so getting them to kind of retrain their brains into that. And that's something that you don't have to just uh, reserve for your gifted learners. You can do things in the realm of critical thinking, um, in the realm of kind of inquiry-based, uh, project-based learning that you can, you know, have gifted learners hone in on those skills that they do have. Um, and then everybody else benefits as well because it's, again, it's experiential. And then the supports, appropriate supports can be given um, for those learners who would need more scaffolding and assistance in, in those types of, of educational experiences. Uh, I love that idea. You know, I want to tell you that when I was a new principal my first year uh, when I was at Medina Valley, one of the things I had in my head was the, and you've heard this before, uh, and I'm going to say before I even say it that uh, I've changed my thinking somewhat on this, mm -hmm. but that, you know, it was an easy platitude to say, well, all kids are gifted. And so, you know, we should treat all kids as if they're gifted. And, uh, you know, there's definitely truth to that in that they're, you know, different children are good at different things. You can always find something that somebody is exceptional at probably. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be physical, it could be musical, it could be academic. Um, our gifted and talented program tends to, at least in the elementary, at least where I've worked, tends to focus on the academics and specifically in uh, reading and math. But uh, the all children are gifted, it sounds like from what you're saying, uh, is maybe not completely too far off in that you can use methodology, pedagogy that would work uh, well with gifted students with pretty much everybody in your classroom? I think best practice transcends. Um, and if you kind of change the, if we were to, as an educational system, change the, uh, you know, aim for the middle mindset, and I'm not saying aim for the top, but, you know, aim for slightly, uh, you know, whatever way, whatever way you're looking at it, slightly above middle. And then, because that's the thing, I mean, even when I was a gen ed teacher, um, I, I didn't have all GT kids in my class. And, but I always 
aimed for just above what basic, you know, the, the minimal expectation was. Cause I knew that if they were able to kind of hang around my higher expectation, when it came time for, you know, the nitty gritty of the standardized test or the unit test or whatever else, they would have a better likelihood of if you understood the concept, then the ABCD piece is a walk in the park. Um, and I, and I, we have had this conversation and I do definitely disagree with that statement. Every child is gifted, but I will say every child has the capacity to learn. It's just up to us as educators to unlock how best they can learn and what we need to do to jump in and, you know, give them their least restrictive environment to give them the best opportunities that they can to learn in the ways that they need. No, definitely. And I think that's where, uh, you know, I've evolved to, to maybe the same uh, position that you're in. Um, okay, Meredith, uh, the name of our podcast is the second question. And you know, that's based on the second question of teacher interviews, which is this. So I'm getting ready to ask you the question. You ready? I am ready. Who is the best teacher you ever had and why were they the best? So hands down, the best teacher I ever had was Miss Sherry Vinson, who is my Facebook friend, and I totally will be sending this podcast to her. Um, but the reason why she, in my opinion, is the best teacher is because, and ironically enough, um, it kind of goes into like where my realm, like how I evolved, I guess, as an educator. Um, Two things that really stuck out to me that I remember, I guess maybe three. Um, she made our classroom so much fun. Um, granted, I this was back in 91, um, so and it was first grade, so you know, it was outside the realm of of state testing requirements, but we learned uh we did thematic units. And also, so I went to school uh at Maid Creek Elementary School in Katy, Texas. And the first grade team, all of their classes had animals or I guess living creatures. And I even remember thinking about that because there was like a dolphin class. We were the whales. Um, and then somebody was the butterflies. And I remember thinking, I was like, they're not even an animal. So we can't say the first grade's the animals. They're just living creatures. But anyway, I digress. Um, but so everything we did that year was whale, like somehow whales were woven into it. I even still to this day have the yellow t-shirt that she made our class. Like we each drew a whale and then, and this is like, you know, ancient technology. The t-shirt was made screen printed so that all of our whales were on there. Um, so it was just, it was very cool the way she kind of like, we built community and things were woven in. She, she put in so much time and effort. I, at the time, I don't think I realized, but like now as a teacher, I'm like, oh my gosh, the time it took for her to do everything that she did. At the end of the year, she made us personalized scrapbooks with all of our, like not all of our work, but uh, pieces of our work. It was like a portfolio, but it was laminated and it had pop-up elements. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Um, she also was uh, the, the person who realized that I was a little bit different than everybody else in the class. Um, and had me identified uh, to receive gifted services. And then also was the one that realized when I magically started not wanting to go to school anymore on the days that I 
was pulled out for services that she took it upon herself to um, talk with my mom and have that conversation that maybe that wasn't the best setting for me, but still went above and beyond and differentiated for me and gave me what I needed. And I know that I, we all know that's not the easiest thing for a teacher to do um, for that one kid, but I, I owe her big time for that one. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Meredith, I appreciate you being here as a guest on the second question. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, if they had more questions, how would they get in touch with you? Ah, well, that's a great question. Um, as of right now, you could email me at school. Um, I my email address. Do I give you my email address? Yes, my email address. You can, there, or you I, want, or you can do Twitter. You can do Twitter, yeah, Facebook, any kind that's of. That's great. You know what? That's a that's an even better idea. What is my Twitter See? handle? Um, you're so smart, Marty. Um, my Twitter See? handle. <laughs> you, that's you. Just wanted me to say that. You just wanted to give. You wanted me to give you kudos. <laughs> My Twitter handle is at E-M-M underscore J-A-Y-Y 15. So like M-J 15. All right. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. So if people don't just write it down, they can read it in the show notes and get that. Again, Meredith, thank you again so much for being a guest on the second question. I appreciate your time this evening. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you thinking of me. And that's it for today's episode of The Second Question. Thanks for joining us. If you like this podcast, subscribe and tell your friends. And don't forget to join us for the next episode where we will answer the second question.